things mysticism spiritual intuitive business and what we like to call spiritual productivity and today we are in our second part of a short series that we're calling the holiday survival kit we are lucky today to be joined by kelly bonner Kelly showed up in our DMs and I knew that we had to have her on the podcast because she's not only a podcaster herself and has a stellar podcast that we'll link in the show notes, but she also consults specifically about reducing burnout and bias and talks about reducing burnout and bias in the workplace with her consulting business as it relates to innovation and inclusion in the workplace. She started and launched her own business a few years ago, and we had an amazing time talking about burnout as it relates to launching your own business and her journey to focusing on burnout as a topic for her practice. We talk about how to prep for the holidays if you're already burnt out, how you notice the signs of burnout, especially as an entrepreneur or small business owner, and what you do when your tank is already empty, even though this is maybe the busiest time of the year. And how do you recognize the true signs of burnout? Kelly has a different definition of burnout than I feel like what is commonly talked about. And it was really refreshing to hear because it's very clear and it gets to the root of what causes people to feel burnt out and lacking motivation and desire to continue. So I'm going to let you guys hear from Kelly herself. We will link all of her information, of course, in the show notes. And we are taking a two-week break for the holidays, but we will be back the first week of January, ready to take on the new year with you and excited to be back in your ear holes. And we hope you enjoy the episode. Kelly, welcome to the 12th house. We're so happy to have you on the show. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. We today are talking about burnout and particularly as a team, we thought it'd be a great time to talk about burnout just as we head into the holiday season. Or we're really actually in the thick of it because Thanksgiving just passed as we're recording this and we're about to head into the December holidays. And at this time of year, you're spinning all the different plates of work deadlines, family planning for travel, whatever you're celebrating. Usually there are things involved there, you know, it it goes without saying. And this time of year can just be so complicated and can bring up so much for people. So we're just so happy to have you here today. (laughs) And I wanted to start off with, so we have a few questions that we love to ask guests just as a jumping off point and transparency question. And one of them is how many friends do you have? Or how much money do you make? And you can answer both or neither. (laughs) And it's supposed to be disarming if you're like, what the? (laughs) 
Uh, my tax returns? What? You want my tax returns? No. Um, how many friends do I have? Well, uh, so I will say like close friends. Mm-hmm. We'll go with that because I have a lot of acquaintances and people in my life. But I would say now I'm going to, if my friends are listening to this, they're going to be like, I'm going to count and make sure <laughs> yeah. my name was made the list, right? Yeah. I would say close friends. I have about four to five really close friends of people that I know I could call at any time. And then I have a great social support system. So I have you know, dozens of people who fill into that. But as far as people like you lean on, one of the things, this is probably not what you're all looking for. One of the things I realized is as you get older, that's actually healthy. You should you'd like yes. you need this shift of like who, like maybe two of those five are like people I know I could call at 2 a.m. Mm-hmm. Uh, but having a smaller but really healthy circle of friends is definitely what I've transitioned to. And what I will say as far as salary transparency, I will say I make over six figures. Ooh, um, I won't give a specific number. But I will say I make over six figures. Awesome. Because <laughs> I believe in transparency as well. Yes. Thank you so much for sharing both of those. I think that it's interesting. We've been really pleasantly surprised with how people handle both questions just because it could be awkward to ask both of those things for multiple reasons. So I appreciate you sharing that. Specifically on the friends part, I think also around this time of year when we talk even moving into talking about burnout, how do you go about, what's your strategy for staying in touch with people and keeping in touch with people, especially around busy times of the year? I think it's it's the same for everything. It's like managing expectations and then building a little bit of some rituals, right? So one of the things that I did, I lived abroad a lot. So I've, I've been the person that's been transitory and all over the place yeah. a lot. Ooh, and me so too, me too. where, where <laughs> do you live? I've lived in the UK. I lived in Cambridge for a couple of years and I lived in Italy for years too. Amazing. Yeah, it was pretty great. <laughs> so mm-hmm. as a result, I had to create these kinds of rituals no matter mm-hmm. what time of year it was, right? Just to keep in touch with people because there's so many moving pieces and there's time zone differences and people are traveling. And so it's the same. Around that time, I just really manage expectations, one, that everyone's going to be busy. So I don't have these unrealistic thoughts that like everyone should be dropping me a text and a phone call. And then I kind of prioritize based on what I have available for myself and know what they do to say like, can let's schedule some time. And so maybe it's just like one mass. We had, I had a book club for a while, for example, with some friends I lived overseas. It's like, why don't we have a special book club meeting right before the, the holiday kind of busyness and craziness that happens. And then it was like, no one expects anything because we put in that social time. Or sometimes I have like codes with my friends that I text them and just say like a word that I know is going to make them laugh. Or we send each other like memes or gifs that I know is going to make us laugh. And that to me counts as social interaction. Like we don't have time for a conversation, but we have time to send like something really funny to each other and say, hey, just setting up a flare thing. I, you know, I'm thinking of you and hoping you're smiling. A meme, a TikTok, a tweet that is funny, it does wonders. That is one of my love languages for sure is sharing yeah. If you sent me a link and this made you think of me, I feel so touched. Yes, yes, exactly. I also love that you said rituals. So are those rituals kind of what you mentioned, just taking time out of your day or week to be like, I'm going to check in on these people by sending them just a hello? Or do you have other, what comes to mind when you say rituals? 
other things is like, I like to, to gift give as well. And I like to think like, what's a small little token of appreciation. I think one of the mistakes we make in the holiday season is we hyper-focus on the holidays as if that's the only time you should be thinking about people (laughs) giving gifts. And I think that adds another layer of stress, right? Both financial and just emotional and personal. Now you feel this pressure of like, well, it's a time of year. I've got to battle people out online to kind of get the best deal or in a store. And so building in small little moments, right? I have a great friend who's really good at this and modeled this for me. And she just randomly, I'll open my mailbox and I'll have this nice package. And it doesn't have to be anything over the top of like a huge high value item. It can just be like, I was thinking of you and this, you know, pair of earrings caught my eye and it's like on clear. It's nothing super expensive. And it's like, oh, great. They know my colors. I know that I like to wear, you know, blue or whatever, or they Mm -hmm. just in a picture, And so that's part of the rituals too, is like, sometimes I'll find pictures and I'll send someone like, remember, like your phone gives you these prompts, right? On this day, right? You get that all the time. Well, if you see somebody that you know in there, like it's my friends and we were on a vacation, I will immediately send it to them and say, okay, here, here we go. This, remember this day. Uh, Another thing I have with a great friend is she's a new mom and we promised each other. She's like, I want to have more in my life. I want to do different things. Once a month, we go to like dinner or like a concert or something uh, together. Like a new experience? Yes, we try a new experience. And it's been amazing to just have that anchored. Again, start your rituals before the holiday season would be a tip so that you don't (laughs) feel like you have to like rush to get them in. But those Mm -hmm. are like a few of the general rituals. And as the new year starts, like it's everyone's like new year, new me. It's a new opportunity to kind of think about that, right? And think about what can I put in place that are small things, even if it's just happy hour or a cup of tea virtually during the pandemic, we would make mm-hmm. sure that that was a priority. I I love that idea too of thinking ahead of time of what's going to be sustainable in the long term because we do tend to cram everything in that we possibly can at this time of year for many reasons. Before we come back to that, I'm curious about your own story, because I know you had an instance with burnout where it was a wake up call, which prompted you to get into the work that you're doing now. And was was this while you were or after you had become a therapist? What stage in your journey was this? It was definitely after I became a therapist, which I think a lot of therapists will understand. They're like, burnout therapist? No. Um, But it was definitely during that time. After, it was my first job, actually, postgraduate school. And, you know, I really was going all in saying, you know, I'm going to take care of myself. And I found myself really at a crossroads, right? I call it like my spectacular burnout. Like I had burnout and like the kind that you see on TV where people are just like, you're, you're, flipping out and you are just not able to function. Like I was in a puddle. I tell people I was in a puddle on the floor, really going, I can't go back to work. Like I don't know how I'm going to go back to work. I'm hysterically sobbing. And it was at that moment, a couple things hit that I had poorly managed my energy, my time, my emotions, just energy in every sense of that word, right? I'd poorly managed that, which obviously is both a sign and a cause of burnout. But also I just wasn't understanding what was going on in my life. Like one of the things that led me to do the work I do now is I didn't know that was burnout. I knew by the time that I was having, you know, a breakdown on my floor that things were really bad and this job was probably not good for me. But all the way to that, I had no language. I didn't have any idea. I just thought, well, this is like what work's like. Right. Just work really hard. And I think that's such a 
key part of how we second guess ourselves or say, oh, I need a long weekend or I I feel like I've read a lot about people taking more mental health days throughout the year randomly, but ultimately that's still not a solve for a sustainable, manageable lifestyle. So what prompted you to be like, okay, this is something that I have to change for my entire lifestyle? It took longer. (laughs) I mean, I, I, I kind of fell apart, picked myself back up, fell apart in smaller ways again. And it was in the falling apart and picking back up that I started looking because I'm a trauma therapist background. Mm -hmm. So I started exploring like the impacts of trauma. I'm really passionate about that and how it it lives in the body and how, you know, people have all these symptoms that are both mental health related and not right. Physical it, that I started to know what the language of burnout was and started understanding that I, the reason why I didn't think I'd burned out is exactly what you had just said. It's like, I was taking mental health days. I Mm -hmm. was definitely the person who got a massage at least once a month. Like I was always that person. I love a bubble bath, right? And I thought because I was doing those things that somehow I wouldn't burn out. Mm -hmm. And what I realized is like burnout is actually a misalignment of who you want to be and what matters to you and how you're behaving every day, right? It's the gap between who I want to be and who I am that facilitates Mm -hmm. burnout, what's important to me. And in so many ways, I had betrayed a lot of my values by overworking, by not having maybe great communication or being moved to help people and then working myself into the ground where I couldn't help people that I wanted to. It was when I understood that, that I was able to kind of come out of the burnout versus thinking it in, in the space of like, well, I'm taking a day off or I'm taking a long weekend. Uh, your point about betraying your own values really resonates because I think depending on where your work falls as well, especially as kin keepers and people who are working in the healthcare sphere, which a lot of our community are, I think it's really difficult for people to step away and and see where am I betraying my values, even though I'm doing what I think I love to be doing and what I think I'm good at. And I think it's probably one of the hardest professions to do that. Is that something that you see a lot yourself in your practice now? Oh, yeah. Near and dear to my heart. And the reason why I started this business at the core was to help, you know, the selfless professional mm-hmm. people who are in spaces where they felt like I'm here to give to a community. I'm here to uplift. I'm here to create connection or heal or whatever I feel like my calling is. It's all surrounded around the help and support of others. And because it was an epidemic and a burnout, whether it's in the medical field or teachers or mental health or holistic practitioners. These folks were burning out at high rates. I was one of them burning out. And so it really is. And that's what I, what shifted for me is exactly how you beautifully said it, was that I realized that burnout was a betrayal. It was a self-betrayal, right? That it was the ways that I was not living up to my values and what mattered to me and the ways that I was putting myself in systems that were also set up to betray me by saying mm-hmm. this lie of our identity being like, as a helper, you must help at the cost of yourself. Right, right. That you must always give more than you have inside of yourself as a way of like somehow that makes me a better insert the job. Right. If I'm right. staying later than you, then I'm a better insert wellness practitioner. Right. Because I'm going to give my all for my clients. And I realized that I was doing that. But on the flip side, I was actually not giving my clients what they needed because mm-hmm. they needed me to be well, to be able to be my best for them. Right. Instead of pouring from an empty cup and associating that with a moral high ground, which I think we're taught 
so often to identify with. I also really appreciate your description of burnout because one of the things we are talking about as a team is how you can feel burnt out in different areas of your life. So often we associate this with work and that's probably the most common because it's sometimes where we have less choice than with our family and friends. But what if you're feeling this in terms of maybe a community you're part, a part of or your family? How would you describe that kind of version of burnout? Or do you think that's something altogether different? I know I think they're very much aligned because I think the way you remedy them is the way and the way you identify the burnout is pretty much the same. And it's the sense of like, again, it's that gap in between like, this is the partner I want to be. This is the the daughter or the son or the person I want to be in relationship with my family or my friends, or I want to be part of this community. And this is how I see myself in that community versus how I'm showing up every day. I'm showing up with resentment. I'm showing up with pain. I'm showing up, you know, stressed out. And it is in that gap that the burnout occurs, you know, what you want in partnership versus what you're experiencing every day and how you're putting out into the world, what you want of a community versus what you're getting back in or what you feel that experience is, is what usually leads to burnout. And you see it with people like it's the same thing. Resentment Mm, is a sign of burnout. Exhaustion is a sign of burnout, mismanaged energy. Those are the kinds of things and the ways that it shows up for everybody, no matter what the topic is. Mm -hmm. And when you're already feeling burnt out and maybe at the lowest of your low, it's, it's easier to one, blame it on other people, but specific circumstances versus identifying this kind of probably difficult to always identify gap because it's a little bit more uh, spiritual. It's a little bit more existential. Um, so how how do you recommend or work with people who are maybe feeling, okay, I'm, let's say, in a job where I'm totally burnt out, but I don't feel for various reason, reasons that I have the option to leave right away. Um, for example, like leaving is not necessarily the solution. Where Where do you start or where does someone start with trying to understand how to Uh, shorten the gap? So three ways I really teach people to do that. One is to one, reestablish or say for the first time what their values are, what matters. And I I use a list so it makes it easier, right? Just to say, pick some of these and you might generate your own as you go, but think about what matters to you and, and what I, I will illustrate with my own, like for myself, authenticity, creativity, and passion are three of like my biggest values. And they're in my whole life. Like it doesn't matter what the situation is, but let's say for work, that's what's important to me. And when I became clear about that, a couple things happened afterward. It says, I realized, okay, does a job, I started looking at my work as a place to express myself, my creativity, my mm-hmm. excitement or passion. Am I able to do that? And if it was a really toxic job, well, yeah, I maybe need to find a new one. But the other piece was like, how can I bring a little piece of me to work every day? How can I be creative every day? How can I have excitement? Like, how can I do that in a small way? And then work becomes an expression of my values versus a series of tasks that must be accomplished. And it changed my framework around work itself, like my relationship to it and how I felt. And then the second thing with that is then I built boundaries. Like I really was clear about if, if the way I decide what's effective in a good work day is, was I myself? 
Was I able to engage and be excited? And was I creative in some small way? If that was the way I determined it, then I had a successful day. And so I needed boundaries to say that that wasn't by me working till eight at night or nine at night. And that wasn't by me engaging in harmful gossip or things like that. It was about putting those boundaries down. And then finally, the last thing is having a self-care routine that is small and practical. So again, what can I do in five to 15 minutes? I would start my work days with a guided meditation that was three minutes long. That's it. And I would just be like, okay, that's grounding me. I would make sure I stood up and got some water if I was feeling stressed out. Small, small ways to inject and infuse some wellness into your day to protect yourself and to be clear about the purpose of work with your values uh, is what I recommend to people and what worked for me. Mm. I, as you were saying that, I was almost picturing myself putting like stars behind or beside, did I do this? Because sometimes you can do those things throughout the day, but you almost don't even recognize them and bringing them to the forefront of your consciousness again can help you just like gratitude lists in many ways feel so simple, but are so effective. One of the things that I also think is really interesting now that I hear from a lot of people is almost burnout of being alone so much or maybe working at a computer so much with screens and not interacting with that many other people throughout the day unless it's via video calls and I think that that feels like a different type of burnout do you feel that that's true or are you like it's part of the same mix it's still in some ways part of the same mix, but I get what you're saying. It's unique. Yeah. It's a very different thing because it's existentially something that we as a world have never had to deal with before. It's like, you know, it's a forced isolation. It's not by choice. Like I'm a happy introvert, yeah. uh, but that still didn't choose for the years of 2020 and 2022 to be like feeling like I was held hostage in my home, you know? Exactly. So it, 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 there is a uniqueness there, but I do think it's some of the things like, again, it's that gap. Like it matters to me to have social interaction and I'm not having it. And it's about reframing how we had to get really creative, right, about how we connected with people and what that looked like, because we couldn't just walk out of our doors for a while and just go to big events or big moments. Even when you're introvert, you might feel great in a crowd where you don't know anybody or have to talk to anyone, but people are around. So I do think that's a unique type of burnout in its own way as well. Absolutely. Yeah, it's true. And then there's the kind of overwhelm of then being with people again, which I know people always face around the holidays too. If you're open to sharing, if you know anything about your human design or Enneagram or personality, any that you identify with. Yes. So I am for the Enneagram, I think, I think, I can't remember because I always get yeah. confused. One, I, I'm always like hesitant to say it because I'm like, one, I feel like people judge me. I think I'm a five. <laughs> On the Enneagram, okay. I think. I, I know a little bit about fives, not a ton. Because they're not the, I don't know that they're super fun. I don't know any fives out there, <laughs> you know, say hello. I don't want to like knock us all down. But I feel like they're more of like uh, direct and it relates to my personality too. Because my personality, mm -hmm. Myers-Briggs is kind of problematic, but yeah. here we are. Yeah, my yeah. personality <laughs> is, EN, is ENTP, which I do identify with, which is like, but I'm a barely an E, like I'm probably more toward I, like barely, like I'm 1%, I'm an ambivert. Yeah. And so, but I am somebody who's like competency matters to me. If I don't think a rule makes sense, I'm going to be like breaking it. I'm a, I'm December-ish baby. So that's cap, right? Oh, Capricorn. nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And so all of that, and I think a five kind of fits in there. I've done all, all the tests out there, I feel like, throughout the years. And I think what's most interesting is whatever stands out to you and you resonate with personally is usually how, or whatever I'm triggered by, I'm kind of like, okay, <laughs> there's a sign. Agreed. Agreed. Knowing those things about your personality, how do you know when you're kind of off track from doing, we, we like to use the term sacred work. So maybe that is working specifically on burnout for you is a lot of your sacred work because you've come to this over time through a very specific journey. So how do you know when you're kind of off track from when something feels like off course and how do you course correct? What are your ways of going about healing that for yourself? Great question. So I think for me, it's about, it's a combination of intuition and just again, energy management. So when I feel exhausted, like I'm usually doing a lot, that's just my nature. I'm trying to do less in life. It's literally my whole mantra, do less. <laughs> yeah. I'm, but I'm always a busy kind of person. So mm -hmm. when my energy is flagging, there are things that I do that I feel like I could do forever. And we've all been there in a situation where even when you're doing what you love, you still get tired, but it's a different kind of tired, right? It's not exhausted. It's like, I got to go to bed because I actually have to sleep to be able to get up and do this thing I'm really excited about. And so when my exhaustion and more emotional than physical starts showing up, I know I'm off track mm -hmm. when I'm disengaged and I just don't mm -hmm. feel right. The other thing is it's really interesting, particularly with women mm -hmm. um, and intuition, how it shows up somatically, like your body will tell mm -hmm. you to, like if I start having more aches and pains yeah. or stomach discomfort or headaches, like then it's atypical. Like I have some conditions where that's expected, but when it's showing up more frequently, that always tells me that I am not on track. So I try to listen to my body and any pains tell me. And then I also listen to like, what am I, like what's coming up for me? There's usually discomfort and exhaustion. Yeah. I really like oh, so many things that you said. The, the physical symptoms are so important. I remember hearing, I can't remember who said this, but it was someone talking about her sister and her and how they dealt with how emotional pain was allowed to be expressed in their family differently for them. So one sister was basically saying, I was the emotional one. I was really, I wore everything on my sleeve. And the other sister was like, I always got sick. And I think the distinction between the emotional exhaustion and physical exhaustion is so interesting and important. Yeah. And it shows up. It's interesting too, because there's studies, like there's both people who've known this I intuitively have been talking about yeah, this, right? So that, there's that. that's already yeah. been around forever. And that connection between mind and body. I mean, Eastern medicine does a better exploration of this than Western, but even the Western science confirms that people with significant trauma histories are more likely to have autoimmune diseases. Like that's a thing that's explored in science but like emotional pain leads to physical illness. And so it doesn't surprising that somebody, you know, in a family where someone gets to be emotional, that they are able to kind of just cry it out and express it. And someone who's like more repressed or reserved ends up having these physical kind of symptoms that carry with them for life because your body's going to find a way to release what's hurting you one way or the other, whether Absolutely. it's through tears or yelling or whatever that is, or through illness. Yeah. And that makes me think about in general, the intergenerational trauma, how that shows up in our bodies. And 
Also for people who might not have choice in the situations that they're in when they're discriminated or marginalized against and how burnout can show up differently or more frequently. When you're working with people who are in those situations, how do you work with them or advise them or support them differently? Well, one of the things that we've learned in therapy, one, I'm a huge, like I did a lot of research on intergenerational intergenerational mm-hmm. trauma because it was something that was very near and dear to my heart. I looked at the Holocaust impacts and I looked at the impacts of slavery. That was what I did a lot of research on. And so it, it is definitely a huge factor in what how people show up, even when they're far removed, they might be generations removed from an event. Mm-hmm. So part of it is working through like more somatic type body work, which again, Western field has very much shifted toward. There was a lot more work now that you can do a lot more different therapies like EMDR mm-hmm. or even mm-hmm. just walking. Like one of the first things I did with people when I would work with them on anxiety is I would get them moving. Like, let's go for a walk and then tell me what's going on with your day. And you would find them kind of come to kind of peace and relaxation quicker then sit in a chair and tell me what's going on. And so when we translate that to burnout work, same thing, like get up and move. You've got to get the anxiety and the kind of built up charge and energy out of your body. So movement is key. How you move, who cares? I don't care. I'm not telling you what specific workout, none of that. If it's dancing around your kitchen that makes you happy, make sure to dance around your kitchen, you know, for 15 minutes a day to get that movement going. So that's the first place we start is regulating the nervous system Mm. and engaging in some kind of meaningful movement. I I love the walk and talk idea too. I've, I've worked with different therapists who have been for different reasons amenable to that or not able to. And I personally really process while I'm in movement because I have a lot of like hyperactive energy and it's kind of a one-to-one me before exercise, me after And I think that's also something that I think of a lot, too, when people are maybe solo printers, creatives, artists, or people who are working at home more now because of what's happened with the pandemic, or if you're a kinkeeper and you're taking care of the household and people in it, how often sometimes physical activity is like the first thing to go out the window because it's just not within your normal path. Like you really have to go out of your way to do it versus it's incorporated into your lifestyle. It's one of those things that's part of health where you're like, this is so simple, yet why does it feel so difficult? (laughs) Yes, it is definitely. And I think part of it is too, is like, you know, you've triggered me on an idea that I've that I think about too, is that part of the way we're socialized toward anxiety, it's a very exclusive kind of idea, not inclusive. So it's like, there's only one way to be fit. There's only one way to look, right? To look healthy. But it's like, you got to take up running. I hate running. There's a lot of people who love it and there's nothing against running. Like I think it does, it releases endorphins and it does all these great benefits. But don't tell me I have to run. Yeah. (laughs) It's it's the only path. Right. If you hate it every step of the way, I took up running and I was like, I hate this. I hate this. Then I'm not getting an endorphin release. I'm just making more stress on my body. And we don't really take into account one of the things that's like, you know, we have culturally you look at different marginalized groups and their health rates. And part of it's like, well, do we think about what cultural movement looks like to an African-American person? Like, what culturally did you do? Look at what your culture does. If you're dancers, right, movement mm-hmm. and music is what moves me. Mm-hmm. That's your exercise, right? If Absolutely. movement and running is something that you have culturally, that your family does, as it's, you think about these great memories then that's what you need to be doing. And so reframing that conversation to just be movement-based and what 
authentically and intuitively appeals to you and validating that. Like that gets to count. And it's not about your Fitbit calorie counter or what something that burns more calories or is more valuable. It's like, what gets you moving and makes you feel connected and gives you the same benefits as a person who's like, I'm addicted to running, right? right? That's what you need to be looking for. 1000%. I grew up in Toronto and the schools and the areas that I I grew up in were predominantly Caribbean. And I grew up just around so much vibrant music and dancing for most of my childhood. But I moved to LA and became disconnected from those scenes where I would be out dancing. And I realized that part of my health makeup is that I need to be dancing once a week, like vigorously (laughs) on the dance floor with friends, or I'm missing a part of this expression that allows me to transmute those complex feelings of anxiety often. Yeah. You attach it to joy, right? I mean, that's the other piece too, is like, what makes you happy that involves movement? And if dancing for a lot of people who like to dance, again, not everybody likes to do that, but if dancing makes you happy, what associates people who like it with it is not the calorie amount or how much fat I've lost in my body. It's like, it's fun, right? It's like, I like doing it the same way someone might be like, I like yoga or Pilates, or I like this specific type of boxing or kickboxing. It's lighting we forget that we are allowed to have access to as much joy as we want in a day like we get to actually choose that we have the access is waiting for us just to pick it like i want joy today and so we need to infuse that in everything we do right like movement gets to be joyful the same way food gets to be joyful we get to pick the things that bring give us access to that joy we're taking a quick pause to talk about Open, one of our sponsors. Open is a mindfulness app built to transform your life. And boy, oh boy, can I just say, Open has made the last eight months of my life a lot easier (laughs) because I've been pregnant and uh, (laughs) definitely not going to yoga class, definitely not going to Pilates, definitely not going to any meditation classes just because I've been really sick for most of my pregnancy and then um, very swollen. Shrek feet, SpongeBob feet. It's just not a cute look. And being able to exercise from home at my own pace and my own timing on the open app has been a godsend. And when I don't want to exercise, when I'm having a spiral panic attack about the fact that I'm bringing a human onto this planet in 2020, I can just turn on a meditation and bring myself back to center. It is chef's kiss amazing. I use open to fall asleep. I use open to do mini breathwork sessions. And I also love their Pilates. They have the best music curation. They have really amazing guides. We can't say enough positive things about them. And you get to try them free for 30 days, which is an amazing deal because it's such a premium subscription and it's just a beautiful experience through and through. So we will link your 30 days free in the show notes. Honestly, it couldn't hurt you to try even just one little meditation session. It's about to be a little crazy time of year. You might benefit when you're <laughs> like, I'm sick of my little. family. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, one month of open alone is less than the cost of a yoga class, a Pilates class or a meditation class. So it's definitely worth it. Or even like two matches. <laughs> Truly. If you go to a coffee shop, they're like eight fifty now. <laughs> uh, yeah, you can either get a, a matcha with CBD oil in it once, yeah. or you can you can open every single day of the every month. Every day. 
This is making me think about how often it seems articles I read or a lot of conversations that I have with people around burnout is not really involving this conversation of joy that much. It's a little tangential, but I was listening to a podcast about these couples therapists who did a study where over one weekend they had a seminar with people to work on conflict resolution, friendship, and then the third one was communication. And they found that the couples who worked on just the friendship bit did far better than the couples who just worked on the conflict resolution. And it's making me think of this element of speaking about joy as part of the inherent ingredient in solving burnout versus just identifying the more kind of negative aspects of it. It's, it's like you, you definitely, joy is a key part. And I think it's the one thing that nobody talks about that should be the first thing that we talk about. Mm. You know, when I tell people I was on a podcast and they asked me, well, how did you know that you were better? And I said, I had the capacity for dreaming again when I healed myself and the capacity. And again, that's part of joy for me is being creative. That's part of what unlocks joy. And what you notice when people, they, they lose their ability to dream. They lose their ability, which is so tied to joy. Like our dreams are things that make us happy. People rarely daydream about how things go wrong. Like that's just like your nightmare or your anxiety. (laughs) But you daydream about happiness, like whatever that is, having the home of your dreams, living in the place of your dreams, having the partner or a good family reunion or hanging with your friends. And so when you are healed, that's the last piece that kind of comes back in your life. But we rarely focus on that. Like you rarely get asked on your way to that healing what brings you joy and what lights you up. And it's like, but that's in, it's so key. It's like when I do, I have a podcast now where I talk to black women about burnout, right? Mm-hmm. And so part of it is I tell them that your birthright is joy and it's not struggle. And so much of us are conditioned to believe life is hard and it is, life's going to yeah. be difficult, but that life can be joyful, that we're actually entitled to have joy as a first line yeah. and that we need to live our lives to make sure that that's in our presence. That's something that we can access readily. And that shift really helps heal burnout. Absolutely. And it points to where you're cut off from being even able to grasp and access those ideas. Because it's like, oh, oh, right. I have been so in survival mode or just getting by what for whatever reason that I've cut myself off from this inherent part of me that is this creative life force. Yes. 100%. For people who are maybe in, I know I kind of asked this before, but for people who are in spaces where they may not feel totally comfortable all the time because they feel marginalized or disc- discriminated against, what do you feel like are ways that you can find joy in those like very tough situations that maybe are a little bit more systemic and things that are going to take longer to shift through like a lot of workplaces, for example. (laughs) So one, look for informal community, like try to find people who understand you either in or out the workplace, but be tapped into that, that source of people who are going to validate you and say, I totally understand that's important. But the other piece is to again, re reassess work itself. Like it's okay, particularly for marginalized folks for work to be a paycheck. Right. Like you, it gets to be okay for that. It doesn't, it, for, first of all, work should not be our life anyways, but it should be someplace that maybe for you, it's reduced to that because you're like, I got to pay bills. That's why I'm here. And if that's your job, then you also get to share, you get to choose how much of yourself 
gets shared with the world and gets invested. And for people who are not worthy of your investment and of your caring, that doesn't mean you, you know, defraud your job or don't do your work, but you really learn. That's one of the things I had to learn. It's like, who's worthy of accessing all the greatness that is Kelly? Not Mm -hmm. everybody. Mm-hmm. And so if somebody can't see me or is talking over me or microaggressing and I feel unseen, I get to make peace with the fact that that's okay because they're not someone who's worthy of having my full self. And this is just a job. So mm-hmm. make sure you have that community outlet where people get to see you and get to validate you. So you're not so, I think sometimes we get stuck wanting this validation from the most abusive and unhealthy mm-hmm. sources and it keeps us in the struggle mentality. And so it's like, release that. It becomes a place that gives you a paycheck that you get to be with the people that value and respect you. In that sense, do you think, I I feel like compartmentalizing is always talked about in kind of a negative way. Do you think there's a healthy mode of that? Yes, absolutely. I mean, and I think, again, it's it's not realistic to expect, particularly marginalized folks, to not compartmentalize. It's what they've been doing their entire existence. And it's, a way of surviving a world that does not want them present. But it's only is it a problem if you find yourself compartmentalizing in all areas of your life. That's when you need to think about, okay, I can never be myself. That's not good. But, you know, for work and stuff, yeah, it's totally okay to compartmentalize. It's a privilege to be yourself everywhere in every space. And very few people have that privilege. So, and you have to look at who those people are. They're usually controlling the whole situation, right? So, you know, we're not all running a, you know, billion dollar company where we can say what we want, be how we want, whatever. And people just accept us. Like, it's unrealistic. For your kind of past self, when you were on your healing journey, if you could kind of whisper anything to past Kelly, what would you whisper with the knowledge that you have now? I mean, the most simple thing that I think anyone would say is like, it's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. But beyond that whispering that it's not just going to be okay, it's going to be better Mm -hmm. than okay. Mm -hmm. And that you like that piece about joy that you have waiting on the other side of this, a lot more joy than you have in this moment. And so prioritize that today. I wish I would whisper that to myself then because I spent Mm -hmm. like, I think a lot of women did in my twenties, making myself miserable for no reason with these ideals and so that, those would be the things that I think I would whisper is it's not just going to be okay. It's going to be better than you can even imagine. Mm, I love that. And the joy piece of doing it today too is such a nice reminder and not putting it off for tomorrow. Was there a moment within that journey where at the time you felt, oh, I'm super healthy and working on my work, but you look back and you're like, mm, it's maybe a little toxic. <laughs> oh, Yeah. <laughs> I was definitely, I thought I was doing the external kind of performative work, Mm. quote unquote, but I wasn't doing the internal work. I wasn't doing like the spiritual work. I wasn't anchored. And so much of our lives we spend kind of, and that's the thing you learn as you get older. It's like when you're younger, you look for all this external stuff. Like who's going to tell me I'm attractive or Mm -hmm. who's going to say I have the best job or what externally is going to happen. And we skip out on all the spiritual and not everyone's doing that, but there's a a lot of times that we skip out on all the spiritual, emotional, uh, intuitive work. You know, who am I? 
what makes me happy? You know, what what are the things that fill me up as a person? Not my checking account, not in a, like a clothing size, but what are the things that fill me up and again, bring joy? And I don't think I even used the word joy in my 20s. And it wasn't that my 20s were miserable. Let me be clear. I had some yeah. good times <laughs> as well, mm-hmm. but there was a lot of angst in there that mm-hmm. it was just unnecessary. There was just not a lot of joy. And so I was not, I was doing the work and not doing the work at the same time. Mm. How do you use intuition day to day, week to week now? Do you have any practices to connect with that part of you? What is the dialogue like there? Yeah, I I use it daily all the time now. And I think that's one of the things that I would also tell someone like use your intuition. I think a lot of our years younger for some women in the past generationally have been denying that. So now what it looks like for me is it's constantly checking in with myself. It's even having space and quiet which is something that I do through like a morning routine. It's something that doesn't seem like it would be intuition led or any of those things, but more so it's like, okay, what does my routine look like? And all my routine gives me space for thought, whether it's like I'm taking a walk and I'm thinking and asking myself questions all the time. Like, Mm -hmm. am I happy? Mm -hmm. You know, am I doing the thing that makes me happy? Think about the last time I was happy. What was I doing? When I, the last time I felt good about my body, what were the things I was doing to facilitate that? The last time I, I felt like a spark of joy or excitement, what was that thing? And asking that question and then saying, well, okay, maybe I can't do that now. Maybe I can't be in Italy, right? I'm living in, in this area right now. <laughs> I can't well, be on can the coast. <laughs> right? I can't be in a mountain right now. But what can I do today that, what was about that feeling, right? Like, what was that? It was like, it was beauty. I was like, in the presence of beauty. Well, then how can I bring that? How can I interior design? Like I have a picture of my little hometown where I used to live right next to me in my office. Um, And so it's like, how can I bring those moments with me? So it's like a combination of asking when am I happy? And then thinking back to the last time I was and what was going on at that time and finding ways to bring it to the present and actively. That's like an everyday conversation I have with myself. That's beautiful. I went to Italy for the first time this summer, so I very much resonate with that moment of, oh, right, I want to be back in Italy. That's when I felt really (laughs) peaceful last. But even to that point, a lot of my time there was without an intense schedule. And I've realized that for me, so much of that peace and relaxation comes from usually on Sundays. I do not allow any plans or scheduling. I try and have it as a free-flowing day. I also acknowledge this is very sacred. I don't know if I'll be able to do this again later in my life to have this day. But the unplanned, not doing, but the being aspect of living is is something I really associate with Italy a lot because it was so hot there when I was there. It can be brutal. And it's over planning that gets us out of touch. Over scheduling and over planning is the quickest way to disconnect from your intuition. And it's an avoidance tactic. Like it's an avoidance tactic. Mm -hmm. It It becomes a thing that we do to avoid the pain of what's going on or to avoid that gap again that leads to burnout. That piece where it's like, I'm not actually living in my purpose or living what I know intuitively works for me. And in that discomfort that I'm avoiding, is this inevitable burnout? It, It really is a distraction. So, you know, the glorification of busy, right, that we have now or Overscheduling yourself is just another way to avoid tapping into that intuition. I, that's so astute and so interesting when thinking about, let's say somebody feels, oh, I'm not so burnt out at work necessarily. I'm, I'm so busy. There's so much happening. And my personal life is very full and robust. But really, it's kind of this avoidance. 
that will eventually catch up with you if that's what's happening behind the scenes. And it's so easy for overscheduling just to be the default. It's our culture. It's really an act of resistance to sometimes not even have a reason just to say, no, I can't make it. Yes, it really is. And it is an act of resistance. I think people forget about that. Like I always quote Audre Lorde, who was a civil rights activist who talked about self-care as a form of self-preservation, like caring for herself and an act of political warfare. Like it was so beautiful that she could tie those things together. That rest is resistance, right? That rest is taking care of yourself. And it is radical in today's world where avoidance is, is the king, right, of how we exist and not being connected. Disconnection and avoidance is how we kind of live our life in the presence of all the stuff we're doing or all these people we're talking to, but we're not connected. Yeah. We're such big fans of the NAP ministry, and I think they do such an amazing job at educating around exactly all of that. And also to your point, I was just thinking about stimulation and We can be in the habit of being so overstimulated that we think something is wrong when we're not stimulated. And instead of sinking into, oh, what's actually there, the search for more stimulation is on. What is something about the conversation around burnout in the zeitgeist right now or in culture that you just feel is like off or that you feel like is part of the popular conversation around burnout that feels misaligned? Yeah. I mean, a couple of things. One I would say is the absence of talking about joy. Like I'm writing about this currently. So like I have a whole section of my book on joy, right. And accessing that we don't talk about joy that's missing in the conversation. The second thing is like the activist in me is one of the things that I'm also writing about. And I believe, as I said, burnout was a betrayal, right? It's a betrayal of self, but we also do not acknowledge that work inherently is exploitive. And that a lot of the systems that we've bought into family systems, you know, culture are supremacist or exploitive. Like they're just based on a supremacist structure. Yes, by design. And so it's not just enough to like meditate away your toxic work environment, right? Like your work <laughs> environment is toxic yeah. and work is always asking more from you than you can give. That's the nature. When we look at slavery to like forget slavery and move to post-industrialism, Work is meant to take advantage of people. Like that's yes. work. Yes. Um, and to preserve a, a system, a capitalist system. So there's that. That's not talked about enough. Like let's talk about why people are burning out. Um, it's very superficially talked about. Well, also even the resurgence, I'm sure you've noticed this too, but over the past few years of sabbaticals becoming much more commonplace, which is incredible and amazing. But I think that even just points to it more and more the fact that we have to be completely off for it to be doable for us to continue. I mean, so many things, but so many, but that is exactly it. Like that you, that, and that the, and I think the other piece is that people don't say enough of this. The third thing, the solutions are simple to both structural and internal burnout or structural inequity, right? It doesn't mean they're easy. (laughs) It just means that they're simple, right? And I don't think there's enough of that. Like we go into these complicated discussions about burnout and the multiple drivers of quiet quitting or like the multiple drivers of, you know, inequitable relationships. But we don't talk about that. Actually, this is simple. We need to do a couple things. It doesn't mean easy, but it's doable. Like we don't have to live in a world where we accept that work is exploitive and we accept that we are going to burn out, that there are simple things we can do individually and systemically as an organization to stop that. And I think those are the three things I would say that are missing, like joy, 
you know, the, the fact that the solutions are simple and that work itself is inherently exploitive. What, what are some of those simple things? I think that's where people get a little bit more tripped up about, you know, like, yes, it's systemic. So therefore there's policy changes that need to happen that will affect the workplace, which is all true and um, so important. But at, on an individual scale, what are some of the, the more simple things that you feel like people can be more aware of? For individuals, really quickly, manage your expectations with your values. Like manage that by saying what matters to me and then protecting yourself with those boundaries in small ways, like schedule out an office, right, for it. Or, you know, say I'm not going to engage on a political conversation this, you know, Christmas with my racist, you know, uncle. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to put a boundary and (laughs) I'm going to say no. This holiday season. Um, So boundaries. And then third is that self-care piece. Learn to step away, build and stepping away moments, build and bring your book. You know, if I've got to step away and build a book or take a walk around the block, build self-care into your day. And organizationally, what I told organizations is like, just start with the end result. Just like I start with people, what brings you joy? With organizations, what makes you successful? And what are the barriers to success? And it stops becoming these like unhealthy, unproductive conversations about what is diversity and what is this. And it's more like what stops people from doing their jobs, not feeling safe, not feeling present, not feeling valued. Well, what are the things I can do today on a small level? Can I send one email that says you did a great job today? Thank you. Please. And thank you to my team Mm -hmm. is the start of actually rippling in the other direction where people are engaged and happy and don't feel exploited. People work harder when they are more when they're valued. So it's like it's asking those questions in the same way of an organization. So well said. Well, we'll have to get the rest also from your book. (laughs) One more question for you. We love to learn about the tools of all of our wonderful guests and creators who come on the podcast. And especially around this time of year or as you're writing your book, what are some of your favorite apps or books that you're just like, I need to know about it? Oh my gosh. So apps, we'll start with apps because I'm a huge person for apps. So I love Fabulous. It's one of my favorite apps. It's this mental health app that has like you go through a routine every day, including coaching. It's it's chaired by like people in Paris, this institute in Paris and like I think Stanford University. I hope I'm not misspeaking, but one of the a positive psychology department. And it walks you through like these four domains of health, physical, emotional, procrastination, tackling. Love it. Also love Happy Not Perfect. That's one of my favorite apps. This app is great. Um, Jamil Jelani, I think, is like a huge, she's involved in the board somewhere. Um, What I love about this app is it's for people like me that have like a little bit of attention deficit. And so I like to do a bunch of different things. So it walks you through (laughs) a happiness workout. And the happiness workout is like brain games. It's like a gratitude list. It is like writing down um, three things you like about yourself or manifesting your dreams as a manifestation track. And then it does quick like three minute, eight minute and 15 minute meditations. Oh my so gosh. those two apps, I swear by, I have both of them in premium subscriptions and they're the only ones I really care about. Uh, as far as paying, they are worth it. They're backed by science. They have great courses, both of them. I highly recommend them. And lately, TikTok. Oh, yes. TikTok <laughs> is yeah. I tell people all the time, like TikTok is great for my health. I get on <laughs> and I am laughing and laughing and laughing. I'm like, oh, TikTok is <laughs> I'm out here. So that's my fun one. Like I have just discovered it. I'm a geriatric millennial who's like, I don't know if I should be on this thing. You're like, but who's I'm watching me? 
A hundred percent. Everyone, I can speak for everyone on the holisticism team. TikTok is absolutely part of what we call our wellness house yes. of cards. <laughs> yes. Uh, I love these apps, by the way, because they're also speaking to the squiggly brained ADHD side of, you know, everyone that we talk to. I think it's so fun to think about how do you make this an interactive, exciting engagement versus like, I have to write my gratitude list or else, you know, it's more of like, okay, how do we get, how do we ignite other parts of your brain and body? That's cool. Yes. It's, they're both fun. They're both enjoyable. Thank you so much, Kelly, for coming on here. How can people connect with you? Where can we find more of your work? I, you have a brilliant podcast. We'll link everything in the show notes, but how, how would you love to connect with people? Yes. You can find me on just about any social media platform, but TikTok coming soon. Um, <laughs> at Kelly, <laughs> just soon. I did one for my own personal one. I'm like, okay, yes. I might just professionally. Um, <laughs> I can see it. I can see the ideas percolating. None of it's useful. Like everything I have is around like Taylor Swift concert tickets and like yes. date sales. I mean, that's literally that. none of it's useful. Like, but <laughs> here we are. Uh, but <laughs> Kelly A. Bonner across all the other platforms, <laughs> uh, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter. Um, my website, kellybonner.com is where you're going to find access to the podcast and access to what's going on with my book and when to anticipate that coming out. Um, and a lot of free resources, more importantly, along the way, a lot of free resources are at that hub. Incredible. We we will link everything and I highly suggest checking out Kelly's podcast as well. We'll link that too. And we'll keep an eye out for your book. This is so exciting. I'm I'm ready to pre-order whenever that starts. Yes, I'm super excited to release it to the world. Yay. The 12th House is produced by yours truly, Wallace Miller Blanchard. Our theme music is made by Nathan McKay, and our wonderful editing is done by Softer Sound Studios, who you can find more information about in our show notes.